Let me pray. I want to speak to you about the birth of Christ. Lord, thank you for your goodness, your love. We pray you give us wisdom and understanding. Lord, we thank you for the witness of um, just uh, the kids and, Father, the way we were able to instruct them and point them to you. And so, Lord, tonight we pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, that you would just, um, again, as you say faithfully, that you would make yourself known to men and to women, Lord. And so, Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, I'll be speaking out of Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 uh, to um, 25. The birth of Christ is something that um, really for the majority of our history as America, we have accepted it, never really doubted it. And yet, um, in the past 20 years, it has become more of a question in the mind of so many, whether they be educators or philosophers or whatever it may be. And yet, all the doubts that men and women would present, whether it be individually or in religious systems or academic uh, arenas, it really doesn't change the facts. Uh, so often people are saying, don't confuse me with the facts. But the facts are what the facts are. That God came from heaven. He took on human flesh. And he did it not for himself, but for us. And in that great sacrifice that the Father made, he was able to do what we could never do for ourselves. And that is, he gave us access to heaven, to the forgiveness of sins, and that we might live with him eternally. And whether someone believes that or disbelieves that does not change the facts. And so if we want to know about heaven and about hell and about eternity and about truth about God or sin or Satan or any of those matters, then there's only one place that we can go to for absolute truth, and that's the Bible. Because we are told that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is proper for doctrine, correction, and instruction that the man of God might be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. There is no other book in the world like the Bible. There are other religious books, but not one of them ever steps out on prophecy with such detail, minute exactness of chance factors that are equivalent to filling the state of Texas with silver dollars, three and a half, four foot deep, marking one of those dollars and then scrambling them and then getting a blind man to go out there and pick up the one that you just marked. That's just eight prophecies fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies. So the evidence, though we want to give a witness of our life that's been changed by God and how he has turned us around and how we live different and our marriages are successful or whatever it may be, and never without any implication that there's, there's, no, that there's perfection, never. But the true witness is not all of that. It's the fact that it is the Word of God that has full authority and that it is God's revelation of Himself to mankind. And here in, in Matthew's Gospel, remember that Matthew is writing to the Jew. The Jew was promised the Messiah. The Jew were the people of God, the nation of Israel. And therefore, to them was the promise that all that was said about the Messiah to come 
would be fulfilled, meaning it would come to pass exactly, not in general uh, matters, but in very specific details, the location of his birth, Bethlehem, how he would enter Jerusalem, the time that he would come, and so on and so forth, how he would die between two thieves, that he would rise from the dead three days after, that he would be seen by many, and so many things that are going on, that there is no, there is no possibility that it could be a chance factor at all. Either God has revealed himself and has fulfilled his prophecies, or we're just delusional. One of the two. I opt out for the scriptures that God has made himself known. So let me read here and we'll make some comments on this uh, passage in, in um, Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. For all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with a child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. And then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and he did not know her, till she brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. First, we have the prophetic visitation there in 18 and 19. And notice that Mary's reputation is at stake at verse 18. She's a young girl, 14, 15, 16. And God is looking for a vessel. Now, a non-virgin would not do. God was going to be born. A married woman would not do. But one who had never had any sexual contact. One who was pure as far as we understand purity sexually and that she would carry the child the Christ child for nine months through a normal birth so you have a supernatural event coming through a natural means and that's how God usually works she's betrothed she's in that period of betrothal where they're engaged it's that one year period where they are legally married but they're not living together there is no no, no, no sexual union. And so if they ever had to have a divorce, they would have to go through legal means. And that's why it would be possible in those days to be a divorced woman and yet a virgin. When we read that, I go, get, we go, get out of here. Because we don't understand the culture and the things that are going on. It is during this period that the angel comes to her before they came together. The Holy Spirit brings to pass the promise that was way back in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman. A woman has no seed in herself. She carries the egg. It's the man that provides the seed. And there, when Adam and Eve fell, and they forfeited the blessings of God the way he intended it, and they inherited sin nature, God gave the promise that he would one day send his son through a human birth, 
through a young virgin. A miraculous birth. The Messiah. And yet through the most natural means, as I said. Then notice in verse 18, now you have Joseph. He is um, the husband of her at this point, legally. But once again, within this betrothal period. And um, he's a just man. He's upright. He's a man of character. Now he's got a dilemma. His wife is pregnant. Now, what would you think? What would you believe when she says, listen, I'm, I'm pregnant by God? Pretty hard story, isn't it? See, we can share with each other about God and we can tell people about information about heaven and everything. But God is the only one that can make that alive as we're going to see. He hesitated. He wasn't sure. He, 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 he loves her, but yet he's got this great dilemma. Uh, not wishing to make an example of her. He wants to put her away privately, give her a private divorce that is given in Deuteronomy 25, the ability to do that, because he didn't want her to be stoned or, or to be um, humbled um, secretly. And yet, um, the turmoil must have been incredible for him at all, altogether, because he did love her, and he's got a dilemma. Now, he knows about the promises and the prophecy of Messiah, and all of a sudden, the stuff is coming to pass, and things are happening so fast. And... Um, I wonder, what will you yield to if God came to you and wanted to use you as an instrument? And the petition of that submission of yours to God would ruin your reputation, would call to question your character. But you knew that you knew that it's God who's speaking to you. Would you bow your knee to him? Would you say yes? And those are always the dilemmas we have as human beings, whether we um, are non-believers and don't know Christ and he makes himself known to us to be saved, or whether we are Christians and we're walking in obedience and he begins to direct and, walk and, and guide our life. Because God makes that relationship personal and he always requires his will to be done. And his will is always what is best for us, but often... When we look at it from the human perspective, we only see the things that it's, it's going to do to us immediately and not long-term wise. Where God is looking at the end, we're looking so much at the beginning here. How would you have responded if you were Joseph? Probably the very same way. Because human character is very predictable. When we lean to our own understanding... So the prophetic visitation is miraculous here. This is not just man, but it's God intervening in man's domain of time that is linear when God lives outside of man's time domain. Then notice you have the prophetic annunciation in 20 and 21. In verse 20 to Joseph, um, the first is told about Mary. While you thought about these things, the thinking there is, again, 
an aspect that God has allowed us to be able to cognitively understand things, take them in and try to assimilate them and accommodate them so that they, there's balance and there's understanding and there's acquisition to that. But when, when the thoughts come into my mind and I try to accommodate them after I assimilate them, if they don't fit in my worldview the way I see things, then it causes disequilibrium. It doesn't give me peace. It throws me off. So he's thinking, pondering these things. And um, he says, don't be afraid. Take to you, marry your wife. All of a sudden now, God is dealing with him directly. Now he has to make a personal decision. The information is given to him. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, he heard it from her. He loves her. But he's human. And God makes it real now. He brings illumination. And that's what happens when people hear the gospel. The gospel is not an attempt to persuade people about God and about their need of salvation and sin. The gospel is a proclamation of the word of God, trusting God to deal with the heart of the hearer. It's never by the persuasion of the speaker. And we miss that often and we get our eyes on men and we attribute to men the power and the success and we're nothing but vessels. Which of you have ever come in from a hot day at work outside in the yard and you grab a glass of water and you quench your thirst? And as you take the last gulp, which of you ever put the glass down and thank the glass for the quenching of your thirst? It's a mere vessel. What quenched your thirst was the content. And that's the Word of God. God makes it alive. God deals with your heart. Not man. He will be the Son you call his name Jesus. Jesus, Yahweh of salvation. The Hebrew name Joshua, the contraction of Yahweh Shua. Jehovah's salvation, Yahweh of salvation. Who is Jesus? Yahweh of salvation. Look at 21. You call his name Jesus, for he will save his people. From their sins. His people. He's talking to the Jewish audience. Matthew. The, the Jews first. Because he was sent to his own. But his own received them not. They rejected him. And finally Jesus cast out Israel. And gave her up to judgment. Weeping. If you would have known this day. The things that were. Prepared for you. But now they're left to you desolate. And you shall not see me henceforth till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Leaning to their own understanding, leaning to their own opinion, their pride, rejecting the scriptures, rejecting God's revelation, rejecting God's illumination. Greater blindness came upon them, which led to judgment. It is the same with every generation. It is the same with every person that hears the gospel. How often can you hear the gospel and not come to this point? I don't know. We know that two thieves heard the gospel as Christ was crucified. Both of them equally distanced. Both of them heard the same things. 
both of them cursed and reviled Jesus. And then one of them changed their minds. Rebuking the other, he says, we deserve what we have received. But this man has done nothing worthy of this. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. One accepted, the other one rejected. The fault was not the Lord's. The failure was not in the word they heard. But it was the heart. And so we're told in scripture, take heed how you hear and what you hear. Because God holds us responsible for the proclamation of the gospel. There will be no excuses on judgment day. No one will be able to say, I never heard, especially in America. <laughs> no one will ever be able to say, I, I never had an opportunity. Because if God did send his son to die for your sins and mine, then he has to give you an opportunity at least one time. I don't know where. I don't know how. I don't know how that will be, but I know he will give you at least one chance and we have the picture with the two men I just described at Calvary. Equally distance, equally hearing everything, equally having a free will, equally making a decision where they would spend eternity. Wow. Only the Holy Spirit can convict you of your sin. Only the Holy Spirit can allow you to understand that Jesus is God who became man, that he emptied himself of his glory and ever of his deity. And when he became flesh, he was 100% God, 100% man. And he walked in full fulfillment of the prophecies. And then he died on the cross as God the Father poured out his wrath because he became our substitute. Sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It's called grace, unmerited favor, undeserved. There isn't a person in this auditorium that deserves salvation. There's not one of us that can say, I, I should be allowed in heaven because I'm so good. We all have sin nature. We all fail daily. And so God would have me to agree with him who I am that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and that He, in fact, is that Savior according to the Scriptures as He took my place on the cross. So the prophetic annunciation, it's not a story. It's God's fulfillment of His promise for every sinner in the world to the day He returns. And notice in 22 and 23, down to 25 there, you have the prophetic anticipation. In 22 and 23, the prophecy of God is fulfilled. The promise spoken by God. Only God can tell something before it happens. So when it happens, you know it's God. Declaring men by name 150 years before they were ever born, Cyrus would be the one who would release Israel back out of captivity. 
telling the specific things hundreds of years before the crucifixion. Psalm 22, describing it vividly in other passages. Men of old speaking according to the Holy Spirit empowered them and directed them, not of their own origin, not of their own impulse, being vessels of God for the future generations. The person to be born conceived of the Holy Spirit, a virgin. Isaiah 7.14, that's the quote. Not just anyone, but a very specific young woman, according to the scriptures, the Son of God. 100% God, 100% man. Taking our place upon the cross. Who is he? Emmanuel, God with us. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and God was the Word. John 1, 1. And the Word became flesh and we beheld His glory. as the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. John 1, 14. Jesus emptied Himself of His glory. Philippians 2, 5 on down. And He didn't think it robbery to be equal with God, but He took on the form of a servant and humbled himself, even the obedience to the death of the cross. God, who spoke everything into existence, who is responsible for your birth, for your existence, who holds the very breath that you take in. Thank God you don't have to think to breathe at night, or you wouldn't make it over the night. You have voluntary muscles and involuntary muscles. Who keeps those things going? And yet, as he is my creator, he would want me to know him as my savior, the one who died for me. The prophecy of God must be embraced personally. Joseph, being aroused from sleep in 24, did as the angel commanded. And he took unto himself Mary as his wife. She brought forth her firstborn son. Mary had other children, but not till the birth of Jesus. Fulfilling the scriptures completely. Now, you might be religious. The term today is, they don't even use the term religious anymore. They call themselves spiritual. And people say, I'm spiritual, but they could be worshiping the occult. The spiritual is not categorized anymore as long as you're spiritual it can mean good or bad God would have you to understand the spiritual accuracy of the prophecy of Jesus that he is God who became man and that being man he took hold of the hand of God and man and being God he took hold of the hand of God and man and then he died and his blood became the atonement, the provisions for the forgiveness of my sins and yours. And if I believe that, then I can call upon his name that he might save me. And Jesus has been doing this for 2,000 years. It's just our turn now. This is the generation that we are living in. Tonight, you're not here by coincidence. 
you're here by appointment. God has brought you here that you might open your heart to him, that he might make himself known to you, that you are a sinner in need of a savior, that he is God who became man to forgive you for your sins, that he might give you a new heart, a new life, and that you might glorify him in every aspect of life, as difficult as it may be, even as Joseph and Mary did. Father, thank you for your grace and your goodness. We thank you for tonight, and Lord, we pray that you just deal with our hearts. I pray for every person here. And Lord, that you would make yourself known to those that perhaps do not know you, Lord. And that, Lord, they would see their need of you. That's your praying. If you're here tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved. There's no way you can deserve it, nor did I deserve it. It was simply as you tonight are hearing the gospel, I heard it. God made himself known, allowing me to see my lostness and my need of him. And then I took the step to repent and ask him to forgive me. That's what he's asking you. If you expect to walk with God, you must agree with him. There is no negotiation. He says, I'm holy, you're sinful. I've made a way for the holiness of God and God who is holy to be one with you. If you believe my son died for you and that he's able to cleanse you from all sin. It can't get simpler than that. If you believe that, you can call upon him right now through a prayer of repentance that I'm going to repeat. And you can repeat it. And if you mean it, he will save you right now. He will forgive you of all sins. And he will give to you eternal life. Not my words, not my promise. But the word and the promise of Jesus Christ. So whether you're in the balcony or the floor or maybe you're over the internet. If you want to be saved. If you believe the message of the gospel that Jesus died and rose from dead for you. You can repeat this prayer right now. And he will save you. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord. For all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you. As my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.